Hey folks, my name's Andy Sitto, and welcome back to another episode of Middle Class Rockstar. I think this is 58. I'll have to go back and check, but I think we're on 58. Exciting stuff. Um, I always scroll back through the episodes, and it's I can't just quickly scroll back now through Apple Podcasts or Spotify. I mean, it's a legit podcast now. You know, if you type in Middle Class Rockstar, you look through and you're like, okay, we're almost at 60 episodes. This podcast is at least consistent, if nothing else. Um, but anyway, I enjoy I enjoy scrolling through and just kind of seeing how long it takes to scroll from one end to the other. And I always have memories looking back through the episodes, and, and I can remember a thing or two of, about each one just as I scroll through, and it's exciting for me. I, I've, I've gotten to have great conversations with lots of people and make some great friendships, some lifelong friendships, meet some interesting people. Um, in the last year over Zoom has been just as good or, or better than than it's ever been chatting with people on the podcast. In fact, maybe better because it's so much easier to get a hold of somebody in their own element. You know, you just call them up and they can be sitting in their PJs, drinking a glass of whiskey or whatever. You just catch them in their natural habitat, and it's a comfortable, easygoing conversation. It's great. Um, I tested positive for COVID a couple days ago, so I'm at home for a little bit, um, and I'm feeling I'm feeling all right. I you know a little bit of a headache and runny nose, but the mostly I just can't smell anything. And people said that's one of the one of the symptoms of COVID, and it was it's weird it's not like you can sort of smell i mean nothing i can't smell the dog's poop when i pick it up i can't um i can't tell if the pizza's hot or cold in the kitchen you know i mean you just can't i mean there's no smell i stick my nose in a jar of peanut butter or a you know in a in a candle and i can't smell it so anyway i tested positive and Allie tested negative so she's, we've kind of divided the house into, or the apartment, the already small apartment we've divided into. I have the bedroom and the music studio, and uh, she has the kitchen and the living room and access to the outside world. And then I, I have the bathroom on my side, and she just kind of has to crawl under the barricade, and I and I clear the way for her when she needs to use the restroom, which luckily she uses it much less than I do. Um. I didn't mean I didn't mean anything in particular about that. I just have a smaller bladder. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> that's what's going on with me. But um, I'm thankful that I'm I'm doing well so far, and I hope everybody's continuing to be safe out there um, and get get their vaccinations when it's available. My guest today is Antonio Lopez. I've been really excited about doing this. Um, about doing this interview for a while. We've kind of, I think, just followed each other on social medias for a little while. I've had some mutual friends. And then Antonio reached out to me a few months ago just to Zoom and chat, and I wished I'd recorded it. I wished I'd done a podcast episode um, over our conversation, but we didn't. We just kind of talked, and um, I talked about SoundBridge Music, which I'm going to tell you more about in just a second, talked about his career, talked about my career, talked about um, being being career musicians, talked about um, how to better serve our community and build our community that we're in, our music community. Um, and it was a great conversation. So then I reached out just a couple weeks ago and said, hey, man, let's do a, a real podcast episode. Um, you know, and he just put out a, this great record called Roots and Wings, which is already being talked about as um, potential nominee for best Colorado artist record of 2021 and it's still January at the time of the interview it'll be February when you hear it but uh, he released it on January 1st so to be in that conversation already the fact that there's even that this record of his has made it a conversation already is a big accomplishment and Roots and Wings has been covered by you know pretty much every Colorado press outlet you can think of um, and I think it's getting some attention in other parts of uh, in other parts of the country as well, Antonio grew up in Alamosa, Colorado, which is down south a ways, um, beautiful area. And his mother was a school teacher, a second grade school teacher. He was the youngest of five children. His father and his uncle, um, both lawyers. In fact, his father and his uncle Reyes were 
um, a big part of the Chicano civil rights movement in the 60s and 70s. This is one of the things we, we talk about. Um, they were fighting injustices, and his uncle Reyes actually unfortunately paid with his life. Um, he was in a car bombing in Chautauqua Park in 1974 in Boulder. Um, his father was disbarred for a time. He had to give up his license on some trumped-up charges and eventually got exonerated, got it back, luckily. Um, but uh, they went through a lot fighting for fighting for their beliefs, and that's one of the one of the things we chat about. And it's just um, kind of a breathtaking story. Uh, we also talk, and, and the, these songs I should say are deeply personal. So if you go through and listen to this record, we're going to listen to a couple tracks. Don't you worry, off Roots and Wings. But if you go through and listen to this record, and you're somebody who really listens to music, uh, you know there's a lot of deep stuff to be found in the lyrics, deeply personal things to be found in the lyrics. And if you're just a casual gym listener, um, at the very least, you'll find yourself Googling whether or not Ford actually manufactured any vehicles in 1942. That's all I'll say about that for now. We also talk about his, uh, his crowdfunding campaign. If you're a musician or pretty much anybody at this point, you've heard of crowdfunding it's where you have a product that you're trying to fund and you reach out to people for help on it and you offer incentives. Well, Antonio did this very, very, very well. He had over 300 backers and made about $21,000 to help him in the making and the promotion of Roots and Wings. So I chat with him about that. How did you do it? How did you get that much help? How did you know it was the right time to do a crowdfunding campaign? Um, yeah, we talk. I, I, I keep going through the conversation in my head and in giving out more and more of it but i think i should just jump in and let antonio talk and not me um this is the part of the show right before we jump in where i will prompt you to join my patreon page but i'm not going to do that today today i'm going to talk about something that antonio is deeply involved in called soundbridge music and i'm reading from their website our mission Soundbridge Music supports and empowers local musicians to make a difference, enriching our community through music. In their background, Soundbridge Music is a 501c3 nonprofit uh, corporation incorporated in 2017 in Longmont, Colorado. I hope I read all that in the technically correct way, but I may not have. The organization was founded as a grassroots effort to use the power of music to make a positive difference in communities across the Front Range. Harnessing the talents of local musicians, Soundbridge Music connects artists with opportunities to bring music to those in need of the unique comfort, empowerment, healing, and sense of belonging that only music can provide. If you go to soundbridgemusic.org, soundbridgemusic, but all one word, .org, you can scroll down to the very bottom of their front page and there's a their homepage and there's a donate button and you can do a one-time donation or a monthly donation. And that helps them to, to do good things for musicians, to do good things for the community. Um, they apply for grants. They write grants. Um, and it's a great organization. So instead of talking about my Patreon page today, if you want to support in a monetary way this week, go to soundbridgemusic.org, scroll to the bottom, hit that donate button. Okay, let's jump into the show. A quick shout out to our sponsors. Patrick at PQ Mastering puts the finishing touches on this podcast. For any of your audio or restoration needs, go to pqmastering.com. Also, Narrator Music. For simple and affordable licensing for sync, go to narratorrf.com. Here's The New Warrior off Antonio Lopez's brand new release, Roots and Wings followed by our conversation. The new warrior needs no sword for her heart is made of stillness Draws no borders and claims no flags. Just expands her lungs with fullness. The weapons that she wields 
caught compassion then inside It's not a battle between the good guys and the bad guys We all contain the shadows and the light can burn us up gotta temper it with cool wisdom from that space we can understand the radical interdependence of our systems the weapons that we will Compassion and inside It's not a battle between The good guys and the bad guys We all contain the shadows and the light We all contain the shadows and the light Hey, man, what's happening? Andy, good to see you, man. Good to hear your voice. Likewise. And uh, last time we talked, you were about to put out the record. Now you have. And whenever I chat with friends like this and we're not recording it, I always wish afterwards that we did. So I'm glad this time it's on record. Yeah, man. (laughs) We we talked about doing this podcast for a while, so I'm glad we're finally making it happen. Yeah, I appreciate you uh, taking the time. And, you know, Roots and Wings just came out, and I want to – delve into that but one thing i want to start off with is the shit that you did well with this record in the promotion aspect that most people do not um number one is the is the crowdfunding campaign you had 300 backers more than 300 backers and you raised twenty one thousand dollars. what was um how did how did you run your campaign what's some insight on that yeah you know i think the success of it had to do with a few different factors 
I think one of the factors, honestly, is just that I waited so long to do a crowdfunding campaign. You know, it's something that I had been wanting to do going on a decade ago, but I just knew that if I waited and basically built trust in my audience and me as an artist, ultimately like that will being patient and doing it at the right point in my career would give it the best actual uh, just leveling up, you know, because I think at its purest form, like a crowdfunding campaign is an opportunity for it's not just about like, hey, I could ask for money and people could help me create this thing. It's like, no, it's like you do it at a certain point in your career where people like want to elevate you and they're happy to support you financially. Yeah. So I think just waiting, that was kind of the biggest thing that played in with the success. And, you know, I, uh, we did the crowdfunding campaign, like after the record was already like being recorded. So the campaign started like about the same time that we finished the tracking. Yeah. And so we kind of, it wasn't like, uh, you know, this is something that's going to happen at some point in time. It's like, you know, the record's already wrapping up as we're starting this crowdfunding campaign. We're already like in the mix phase. Going to be getting mastered next week. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And that's really interesting. You said, uh, you know, a place where people want to help you level up and you're ready and, and waiting and being patient. Was that hard for you to know when the right time to ask was? For sure, man. Yeah. I mean, it's a nerve wracking thing to put yourself out there in that way. And, you know, even just deciding like, okay, this is how much it's going to cost to make this record at this level. And then you're trying to figure out like, do I ask for the complete amount? Do I kind of fund part of it myself and ask for a goal that's a little lower? Because with Kickstarter, you know, it's an all or nothing thing. Yeah. So you have to believe that you're going to make your goal. But yeah. there's always that possibility that you might not. And that's pretty nerve wracking, you know? Yeah, absolutely. You know, and especially if, if there isn't somebody, you know, a magical savior that can kick in the rest of the amount or something. If you don't make it, I don't know. For sure. Yeah. Um, and, and now this was delayed quite a bit because of COVID, I think. Right. When was the original release date? Yeah. So originally the album was going to be coming out like in May or june of 2020 yeah and of course with the pandemic kind of coming down heavy in the united states in march that just seemed like a really uncertain time to release a record that you've basically invested like twenty five thousand dollars into it's like wow like who who knows how much of that i'll be able to recoup in the midst of like no gigs and just everything changing so rapidly within the music industry due to covid so yeah i just kind of sat on the record for a while and just kind of regrouped try to to regain some of my confidence some of my spirit basically man because it's as you know being a working musician yourself you know the pandemic like those first couple months of it it was like you have to evolve super fast and just figure out how you're going to keep the bills going, how you're going to keep living, all that kind of stuff. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and now it did, it ended up coming out on January 1st. Um, Correct. Yeah. 2021. So, you know, I guess seven months and we're still sort of in the midst of what's going on. I know we're playing live a little bit, but nobody knows how much we're going to be able to do that. Um, what was the, what ended up being the decision to go ahead and release it at the beginning of this year? Yeah. You know, so honestly, the biggest factor with that is just like, I had been telling people during the Kickstarter campaign that, Hey, it's like campaign is going to finish. People are going to get their rewards. The album's going to come out pretty fast. So, you know, my biggest thing is I just try to be a man of my word and try to keep my end of the bargain on stuff. So, I was feeling bad that it's it was taking me so long to get the album in the, in the hands of backers and you know there's a there was a really good organic push for the record with just how successful the Kickstarter was and I didn't want to wait so long that that all dissipated 
Yeah. So it was just kind of like trying to wrap my bearings, being like, all right, January 1st, it's not going to be like everything magically changes, but there is just kind of that mental reboot of a new year. Uh, and it's just my way of trying to put something positive into the world, trying to lift people's spirit in a small way. Like, I mean, I, I think uh, for me personally, like music and art, books, stuff like that, that's what I turn to for comfort in really trying times. And that's what I've found comfort in during this pandemic. So I was just trying to, to play a small hand in that with the release date. Absolutely. And how has your promotion strategy changed? Um, I'm, I'm sure you probably had different plans this time last year for how you were going to promote it. Um, how are you, how have you been able to adjust so well? Yeah. So I guess maybe we'll just talk about how I was planning the album cycle to go. Yeah. And it was like, all right, so the Kickstarter finished last January of 2020. The album was going to come out in the late spring. My band, we did, we were starting to get some bookings at like some summer festivals and stuff and just some better stuff than, than just like the bar circuit and stuff. So, of course, all those bookings just kind of dissipated with COVID-19. So kind of a silver lining in that is being a working musician a lot of times you spend your days booking gigs rehearsing driving to gigs driving home coordinating rehearsals on and on whereas like me personally all my presence on the internet is lacking compared to like how far i along i'm in my career like I, I feel like my internet presence is pretty lacking. So uh, this has given me an opportunity to maybe try to level up on all my internet presence. And I'm just in the midst of that. You know, I'm in the early stages of that. One, one thing that's always kind of haunted me to a certain degree is that, hey, my name is Antonio Lopez. It's a very common name. Yeah. Uh, if you look me up online, I mean, it's not hard to find me, but... It, sometimes i mean sometimes on certain platforms i get kind of cross combined with other musical yeah. artists that have the same name so honestly like for a good part of the last decade i was just like you know what i mean how much money do you really make from spotify how much money do you really make from youtube i'm just gonna fucking concentrate on booking like 200 shows a year driving to the gig and playing the gig and that's kind of where my livelihood was yeah so with that not being possible with COVID, it's like kind of forced me to be like, all right, now is a good time to get the internet stuff up. And in the long run, you know, that that is kind of where it's kind of a longer outlook that you need to have. But that that is kind of a long run vision that you need to have, you know, because it's like, how do you really expand out of the town that you live in, the region that you live in? Yeah, it's through the internet. Yeah. And as like as basic as that sounds and like music business and one on one as that sounds, like sometimes that's one of the things that's uh at least for me personally, that's one of the things that I kind of always relegated to the bottom of the to do list. Yeah, it's interesting too, because I feel like people in our age group was maybe the cutoff of where we grew up um wanting to be musicians and our vision was going out and playing live because that's what it was whereas now a lot of the kids growing up are i mean are just finding music online and i, I you know I, we weren't necessarily doing that yet um we were still going to shows so totally we're, yeah we're in a weird place where i think we're young enough to adapt but also old enough um <laughs> you know that it's not all about the internet yeah totally man it's, it's a struggle like just a kind of a footnote on that so I was born in uh, 1986 and my family, we didn't really get like a family computer till like, I think it was like a senior in high school. Oh, wow. So it was kind of late to the game. And even now, man, I'm, I'm, it's like even my words per minute typing skills is lacking. Like I, I should just do some like typing classes because that would probably help, <laughs> help me up my music game just to be able to 
type emails faster and stuff. <laughs> that, that makes me appreciate your credit where it's due Facebook posts even more because some of those are, are uh, a couple paragraphs long and that might take some time <laughs> to, to, to hit those together. And you've been doing cool stuff like that on social media. I notice you've been um, not just thanking everybody, but doing an individual gratitude post for everybody that worked on the project. And I, I think that's a really um, cool, cool thing you've been doing on social media that you don't see um, everybody do. A lot of times it's just one post. Thanks everybody who worked on it, tag, 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 and move on. But you've really taken that extra time to show gratitude to everyone. Yeah. You know, I'm super grateful to my bandmates, you know, I'm, and my producer. Uh, I'm fortunate enough that my band in real life is the same band that's on the record. And it kind of blows my mind. Like, honestly, like the band that I've been able to assemble, because it's not really like I have tons of uh, finances to like take care of them really well financially. So being that they're all playing with me, that means that, hey, they really dig the music. Yeah. And uh, just by like talking about the gratitude posts and giving them shout outs. And, you know, I think uh, being respected goes a long way in this business. And I kind of feel like in the long run, that's kind of what it's all about, man. It's like some people are really fast movers and could like send hundreds of booking emails and book or two are all fast. And, but it's kind of like, you're just kind of using the network for your own gain as opposed to like being a member of the community. Yeah. And I, me personally, like, I think it's kind of easy to kind of see when people contact you and talk to you, like if they're just kind of trying to serve their own interests or if they're actually trying to like bolster the overall scene and overall community. So, yeah, man, I just think it's important to like kind of do that golden rule, golden rule sort of thing and treat people well, treat people how you want to be treated. And in the long run, man, it's like, who knows what the future holds as a working musician, but if you treat people right and people treat you right, like it's, it's a pretty cool life, man. It's like, we're not, we're not rich, but like our life is rich in a lot of ways that uh, can't be measured. Yeah, absolutely. And um, when you're talking about being a member of the community that brought up uh, something I was going to ask you about later in the interview. So we'll, I'll, I'll save that, but I, I made a footnote. Um, <laughs> I made a footnote about that. Uh, you've, in terms of the press on this release, I don't know if there's a local publication that hasn't written about the record. Um, you're getting press from everywhere. And it seems like every other day you're posting up, uh, a, you know, press from, you know, another big publication locally and abroad. Um, what was your method there for PR? Did you work with a company? Did you do it on your own? And is there any press outlets that you're still really hoping to get a response from? Yeah. So, you know, I owe a lot of uh, to press PR for that. So uh, Dawn Jones, she's up in the Loveland, Fort Collins area. Her company's called Pressed PR. Mm. And, you know, she's the one that's helped me land those placements. Uh, just kind of it's all kind of word of mouth the way everything works you know it's like last january i went to the folk alliance conference in new orleans yeah and i was talking with celeste delorio and she, you know just kind of talking to her about trying to maximize my efforts and how to focus for this release and she recommended talking with don about pr and you know this is really my first time in my whole career like bringing in other people to work on it it's always just kind of been a totally diy me wearing all the hats career approach so yeah i mean i'm really happy with all the press coverage we've been getting uh not just for like selfish reasons of like oh it's cool that i'm on the cover of this newspaper and it's cool that they're writing about me but i've, I've kind of see like my role as a musician and just like as a member of the human race as being like a bridge builder 
Yeah. And being that like I am a person of color, uh, playing a type of music that not too many people of color play, it's like uh, I have an opportunity to like basically bridge the gap between so many different communities. And also just like, uh, you know, a big part of the story that I'm telling with this album is basically honoring my parents and the struggles that they went through. You know, my mom is a retired second grade school teacher who she dedicated all her life to just teaching kids how to read. And, you know, if you go to Alamosa and you talk to people, they'll be like, man, Miss Lopez, she was like my favorite school teacher I've ever had. Yeah. And then my dad, like he's a activist and an attorney and he was pretty involved all his life in just like social causes and the civil rights and particularly like the Chicano movement in like the 60s and 70s in Colorado. And, you know, there's some uh, really tough stuff that, that has happened to my family surrounding all that. So I just feel like I, I want to like, you know, honor them and tell their story a little bit. And uh, it's a little nerve wracking in a sense, you know, because there's kind of that quote that it's like, you know, uh, I'm kind of paraphrasing here, but it's kind of like to the effect of like, you can't tell someone else's story. Their their story is is their own story to tell. So yeah. it's kind of like, I don't want to f- seem like I'm trying to co-opt my parents' story and the struggles that they went to just to like have a PR spin that will be like, oh, that's an interesting story that could we could write about. It's it's not like that, you know, it's just more right. like I, I see... Uh, my work as a musical artist just kind of like furthering the efforts that past generations have done, you know, not just my parents, but just anyone and everyone that's trying to strive for more access to education and just more equal rights and right. everything like that. Oh, well, and it, you know, it's, it's certainly a powerful movement and powerful stories to tell and along the lines of, you know, some of the stuff your family's been through. Um, I, I believe I was reading that your father was, was actually disbarred um for a while unfairly because of what he was fighting for and um your uncle um had some uh, had something really awful happen as well uh being being treated unfairly um what kind of impact did did those things have specifically on the record yeah yeah you know so uh i guess i'll just talk about kind of my uncle reyes and my dad, uh, Francisco Kiko Martinez, they became lawyers like in the 60s because they just understood that, you know, the way people that are underprivileged, people of color, just really anyone that's kind of like disadvantaged in life, just just the lot that they have is is not good, you know, and the prospects that they have and the opportunities they have is not good. So they decided to become lawyers and basically that's a way that they could amplify the voices of oppressed people. And, uh, you know, they, this was just in the context of like, you know, what was happening globally in the late sixties and early seventies of just like, you know, basically like a great Renaissance in so many ways. And, uh, you know, my uncle Reyes and my dad, they were very close in age and, you know, they, there was like a secret branch of the FBI called Pro, And now it's coming out that like a lot of figures that were like the heads of social movements during that time, that a lot of them, a lot of their deaths had something to do with the secret branch of the FBI. And this is the sort of thing that, you know, it's a lot of it is speculation and and hearsay the government's not going to come out and say like yes we did uh make that bomb and planted that killed your uncle but you know it's kind of a lot of things are leading to like the death of my uncle and you know like malcolm x and martin luther king just different things like that you know that uh a lot of that was at the hands of the government to to quell these social movements and uh at the time that my so this, so my uncle Reyes, he he was killed along with uh, two other people at a bomb in Chautauqua Park in 1974. 
Yeah. And then less than it's 48 hours a car, later. A car bomb? Correct. Yeah. A car bomb at Chautauqua Park. And then like less than 74 hours later, there was another bomb that went off in Boulder and killed three other uh, young people. So collectively, there was six people killed. And uh, they're now known as Los Seis de Boulder. Yeah. And when this happened, like my dad uh, was in exile, you know, like they had accused him of some things that he did not do. And he was just like literally on the run. Yeah. So, uh, and this, this was like before I was born, but this was like in the early days of my mom and my dad, like starting their family. Yeah. So like some of my older siblings were alive at this time. And, you know, I just see like the, it's, those, those are traumatic uh, happenings and traumatic events to be starting a family in and for a, a young child to be growing up in. So I see the effects that those have had on my older siblings. And did, and, it, did it seem, sorry, did it seem um, when these deaths happened, did it seem at the time that they, they could have been done by a secret branch of the FBI or that they could have been um, done by the government? Was that even a thought at the time? Uh, you know, I think it was, you know, uh, what happened in Boulder in that year, like it was kind of under the context or not kind of, it was the context that all this happened in was like, uh, you know, during that time, that was like the first wave of like people of color really getting educated. Mm hmm. So this was like the first time that there was like Mexican-American or Chicano students attending the University of Colorado in Boulder. Right. And, you know, like a, a school of that size, like they, it's, it's a powerful institution. So like they have like student governments, but like basically like there's a metro party and it's like a, basically like a Mexican-American or Chicano student organization that was on the campus. And they decided to, to run for a lot of the public office that was for the, for the students. Yeah. And basically, cause it was really unfair the way the Chicano students were being treated on the campus. And, you know, like they were, the university was just withholding financial aid and, because, you know, like if, if the kids, if they weren't getting that financial aid, eventually they would just have to just drop out of the school. Right. So that's kind of how one tool that the university was using to basically not have as many people of color on, on the campus. Right. So uh, that's kind of what was happening. And there was even like a. Like an occupation of a building on the campus that. uh the students took over for a while and they were just trying to be like, Hey, like, why are you withholding these financial aid payments? Like we got good grades. We met all the stipulations to receive that aid and so on and so forth. So that's just kind of like the context that those events happened under. Yeah. Oh, wow. Um, I, I was just listening to, um, Malcolm Gladwell was talking about uh, Brown versus board uh, yeah. and how maybe the big mistake of that was not um, integrating the teachers and the administration first and having, um, you know, teachers of color, administration of color in white schools and vice versa, and then integrating all the kids and sort of what ended up happening was just a few children of color were forced to integrate into an all white community. And so some of these things that were happening, of course, were still extremely unfair. Um, and, and it's continued for years and years and years. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy that, you know, like education, it's a, it's a powerful tool yeah. and, you know, it's, it's a tool that, certain communities just take for granted and, and just take it's just something that like oh it's just there and you know you go to the you go to elementary school and you go to middle school and you go to high school and you go to college and you get a job and you live your life and you have kids and all that stuff but yeah. it's like you know that roadmap of life is 
not so there and not so open to everyone. Yeah. So it's like basically, you know, like in a nutshell, you know, like people may paint a lot of what happened in those days as like radicalism and like crazy, like radical actions. But it's like, you know what? People were just fighting for their children to have a better life. Yeah. They had. Yeah. Yeah. And a truly equal opportunity. Mm-hmm. So I want to talk about your upbringing a little bit. You're from Alamosa. Um, and, you know, you chat about your family. You're the, the youngest of five, right? Correct. Yeah, I'm the baby. You're the baby. <laughs> uh, how, how, I mean, what's the age range of your siblings? Are you way younger than everybody? Oh, gosh, yeah, it's quite the range. So uh, my sister is the oldest, and then the, the rest of us are boys. And my sister, she went off to school. I remember when she went to college at the University of Colorado. And I'm trying to think if I was even, I don't even think I was in school yet when she went to school. Like, I think there's wow. probably like a, yeah, I was maybe like four or five years old. So there's got to be like a 14, 15 year spread between us. Wow. Wow. Um, and so, I mean, were, were your older siblings around when you were growing up? Did you get to know them as a kid pretty well? Yeah. You know, we were all kind of spaced out. So like my brother Paquito is the closest to me in age and, you know, it was kind of like, he was around most of my growing up, you know, some of my older siblings kind of split the house sooner. Yeah. I was running out of battery there. Oh, no, just, no worries. I just saw the little red light pop up, low battery. <laughs> uh, no, no worries. Well, these these songs do seem to have a, a lot to do with your upbringing, and um, they seem to be very personal to you. And I know, you know, the title of the album, Roots and Wings, uh, certainly says a lot. Um, and, you're ta- you know, in the song, you talk about how your mom gave you one, um, and and your father gave you the other, and I think the the quote that you heard on an airplane, correct? That it sort of inspired that was there are only two lasting bequests we can hope to give our children. One of these is roots, and the other is wings. Um, so did that kind of inspire a lot of these songs and, and the record in general? Totally, it did, man. You know, uh, so me and my wife Georgia. We got married in the summer of 2018. We, we've been together the better part of, or a decade plus now, but we just kind of waited a while to get married. But, uh, you know, we were flying home from our honeymoon on Vancouver Island in British Columbia. And wherever I travel, I always pick up like a little arts and entertainment newspaper just to kind of get a pulse on what's happening in a place. Yeah. And uh, there was this one called the New Agora. And there was just an article in there talking about basically like this new form of masculinity that wasn't about being macho and tough and putting up this wall. It was more about being vulnerable and open and just kind of discussing things a little more. And there was that quote in there that you t- you said earlier, there are only two lasting bequests that a parent can give to their children. One of those is roots and the other is wings. And, you know, that's something that uh, maybe as a person ages, they realize that even more you know because when you're growing up you kind of always feel like your family's maybe weird in certain ways and there's certain things maybe you're just don't understand you know but as you as you age and get more mature you realize like you know by and large like parents are trying to do the best they can given the circumstances that they have so you gotta cut them a little slack you know and honor them and just realize like hey no no one's family is perfect no one's upbringing is perfect but uh hopefully like you got those roots to understand where you came from and like the wings are that opportunity and just like that future looking uh possibilities of the future you know yeah yeah absolutely um, my favorite song on the record to bounce around a little bit here is is the new warrior and i love the album version of it um, but then i i saw a video of you doing it solo and i love that just as much you've got a capo 
you've got like a is it does it capo three strings yeah i love those little cut capos man i use those a lot yeah yeah it was it's a really cool guitar riff i chat about how that song came about yeah so you know uh the backstory on that song is uh it's inspired by one of the closest friendships i've had in my whole life you know it was with this quadriplegic lady named tetsuko of cold mountain and the way Tetsuko and I met each other is it was like my sophomore year in college, like the last week of school, you know, I'm looking to find a summer job. And this was in the, in the days when you would look in the classified section of the newspaper. And there was just a little blurb, you know, artists in a wheelchair looking for a caregiver. And I replied and that's how me and Tetsuko met each other. And we both had like an affinity for the musician uh, Amos Lee. Yeah, so we just kind of bonded over Amos Lee, and this this was when I still lived in the San Luis Valley. I was still living in Alamosa, and uh, you know, she was being in a small town. There's a lot that I wasn't exposed to, and she was one of the first Buddhists I ever met. Hmm. And she was just telling me about a uh, a Buddhist prophecy about this new warrior, and I really liked this prophecy because it was like this new warrior arises in a time that's very similar like the ones we're in now and yeah, there's a lot, just a lot of chaos confusion division and what i like is that like this new warrior isn't a entity that's like a savior that's going to come save us it's more that like this warriorship is inside each and every one of us and if we all just step forward in a small way collectively the impact will be great yeah and, you know, Warriors of the Past, it's kind of about force and might and conquering. But uh, this new warriorship, it's more like compassion, insight, understanding, looking at things from other points of view than your own. Yeah. So I just always kind of liked that idea of the new warrior. And, you know, Tessuko was always wanting me to write her a song. And sadly, I didn't write the new warrior till after she passed but i like to think that she knows it exists and is rocking out to it now absolutely <laughs> when, when did she pass away you know it was uh may of 2016 i believe yeah okay and and did you uh i mean did you have a relationship with her up until that point or, or did it separate before then i i did you know like so uh i worked with her all through college and my wife, Georgia, she's a few years younger than me. So we stayed in Alamosa when Georgia was still fin finishing college. Mm -hmm. And even after we moved up to the front range, I still stayed working with Tetsuko. You know, like uh, sometimes I'd take her on road trips. And, you know, I remember taking her on a really cool road trip, like down through like uh, northern New Mexico, Santa Fe, going all the way out to like Arizona. Cause she was really interested in like just kind of like native cultures. So we were just kind of uh, visiting like this this ancient city that still exists in Arizona called Old Robbie. And, you know, just taking these road trips, you know, it's, it's cool. It's cool having a, a friend that's uh, a different age than you, you know, and just has such a different background than you. And having those deep conversations with people that aren't like you, like I I found that priceless. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's that's really neat. Um and I'll appreciate the song even more next time I listen to it. Now knowing um, the backstories, I'm sure our audience will too. Um, you just talked about moving to moving to the city, you know, moving yeah. out of Alamosa. You came to Longmont, I think it was in 2012, and you had a, a job as a night janitor in public schools. Um, did that? Is there? a correlation between that and the song going to the city. I, I think my favorite record on your whole album is uh, to grow farther from nature is the nature of man. What, what was the impact of you as a person going from Alamosa to Longmont? What was the change for you? Yeah. So, you know, like a lot of people, that moment in time when you like, kind of like fledge your wings and, fly away from the nest like that's uh an exciting time you know a time that you dream about it's a time that you idolize and especially as as a musician you know growing up in a small town you you do dream about moving to a, to the city and just kind of the opportunities that 
are there with with me with music yeah so you know i was super idealistic bright-eyed and bushy-tailed during those years 2012 like uh i think the same day we moved up this way i went to the song school in uh lions colorado that happens before the folks fest yeah and I just remember, like, everyone I met, I met that day just being like, yeah, I just moved up here this morning, and I'm going to be a professional musician. And they're wow. just like, man, you're kind of crazy. Like, you know how hard that is. And honestly, dude, I had no idea how hard that was. I was just, like, super yeah. idealistic, super green, coming from the small town, moving to the city. Yeah. <laughs> and maybe you can't know how hard it is if you're crazy enough to get into it. I mean, at first, I don't know. Yeah, dude, I think I think you need to... <laughs> You know, like, there's so many things about a career in music that are a bummer and will beat you down. Yeah. That it's like, and that's why there's so many people that are in the music field and as they age, they kind of get grumpy and they kind of get, like, mean. But I think you need to hold on to, like, that, basically, that naive spirit that it's like, yeah, you remember when you were, like, a teenager in your room and you had, like, posters on your wall of your favorite band you were just listening to cds and you were just like reading guitar magazines and just digging music and it's like you have to hold on to that and it's like if you hold on to that like ultimately you'll be okay yeah i think that's i think that's great advice that should that should uh was that your senior quote oh geez dude uh man i, I wasn't even cool enough to buy a yearbook it's gonna uh, be it's gonna be someone's senior quote, whether or not they're cool enough to buy a yearbook or not. That's gonna be someone's senior quote. Um, so I have to I haven't fact checked you yet, but I meant to before the episode. You've got a song called Forty Two Ford. Um, is it true that Ford didn't put out any cars that year? All right, man. Well, there is a little bit of artistic liberty with that. You know, <laughs> okay. technically there are some nineteen forty two Fords. Yeah. But uh my understanding is is that in February of forty two they kind of switched manufacturing efforts from consumer goods over to goods for the war. Yeah. So you know, it's one of those things like yes, technically there are some nineteen forty two Fords. But I just think it's kind of a cool poetic way of just kind of telling this story of this singular person you know it's the character in the song is named jacob jeffrey jones and hey he's just like a lot of high school boys are you know he's just dreaming of taking his girlfriend out on a date and he's saving up his money to get a car so he could take her to the drive-in movies and he seems like a pretty cool high schooler too from what i can tell oh yeah man i was trying to make him like the the all-american like he was a player everyone's favorite son you know like yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh that's great well the, the whole record's awesome and i encourage everybody to go listen to it roots and wings and so something i wanted to come back to from earlier we were talking about or you were talking about um being a member of the community and that makes me think of sound bridge music um, which is something that you're very involved in. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah, so uh, Soundbridge Music is a nonprofit. We're based here in Longmont. We've been around since 2017, and I've been on the board since the beginning. And, you know, like in April, a few weeks into the pandemic, I stepped into the executive director role. And it was a move that me and the other board members had been talking about for a while. But especially with the onset of the pandemic, it just seemed like the right time. And, you know, we're a small organization. Everyone that's a part of it is a volunteer. But basically what we try to do is make a career in music more of a viable option and more of a sustainable endeavor for working musicians. You know, there's so many hats to wear. There's so much to learn. So, you know, pre-pandemic, we would have pretty regular, like, artist mixers where we would have someone present on a topic, you know, whether it be, like, how to run sound for a live gig, you know, just kind of, like, basics of running a mixer, a mixer, 
you know, like if you're planning on making an album, just kind of like album planning or sending emails to music bookers and just kind of had best practices for communication and that sort of thing. And then we were also uh, putting on some like concerts in like focused listening settings. It wasn't like a bar environment, you know, making it more kind of like a house concert or just focused listening environment. Uh, We were bringing musicians into like nursing homes like Brookdale Senior Living Center and just kind of providing music for the residents there and gig income for working musicians. Uh, Obviously, with the pandemic, like a lot of those in-person offerings are not possible right now. So it's like the big thing that we're working on right now is something called the common thread. And we're going to be unveiling that later on this winter of 2021. And basically what it is, it's going to be like a, you could think of it like a mastermind group, uh, mutual aid society, uh, just kind of like a collective where like working musicians will mentor each other and just provide each other, you know, cause like a little mentorship goes a long way. Just think there's so much stuff to learn. And like, if, if there's someone that's maybe a little further down the road than you, that's kind of just giving you a little tutelage. It's, that could really go a long way. And, you know, we've been applying for some grants and we've been getting some grant funding and what we're going to do with this is just basically uh, provide work for musicians that's safe and remote work this winter and you know like uh, a lot of the work of a musician in the COVID area has to do with technology and you know certain musicians they really do have that technical knowledge of like okay how do I run a DAW how do I live stream and get good sound how do I edit a video but there's just kind of like so many hats to wear that it's like, you know, if we think more of a collective effort and as a community, like, you know, like everyone has certain skill sets and everyone has other things that they're not as good at that they could maybe learn from someone else. So it's like we're going to use this grant money in a way that's just kind of like circulating within the artist community. And it's just like I think of it like uh, a lot of this stimulus that's coming through with covid is just like if it's a thousand dollars that just like help someone pay their rent or pay their bills like that's really helpful but the demand is so much greater than what's there to help so it's just like how can you make money stretch further and like i just keep coming back to this idea of like you know if you have a thousand dollars and it circulates within the artist community. And, you know, it's like maybe, uh, you know, I want to record three songs. It's like I'm going to hire Andy Sido to, like, mix these songs and use some of that money to someone else to master them. And then maybe the person that's mastering them, maybe they're wanting some video work and then they use the money to hire video work. And it's like that $1,000, if it keeps circulating, you know, if it circulates 10 times, then it has the economic impact of $10,000. And circulating within, getting money to the music community and then letting it circulate within the music community. Correct. Yeah. 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 So, you know, that honestly, that's kind of where a lot of my headspace has been, is trying to figure out how to make this program work. And we're going to be launching the, the pilot program here very shortly. Yeah. And uh, it's... Hey, man, it's like, honestly, just being completely candid with you, like, I do not have any experience being the director of a nonprofit. Yeah, I do not have any. Well, not, by now, I, I do have a little bit of experience of writing grants and seeking grants, but it's like, I'm a newbie at all this. But uh, it's like what I would hate to see is like the, the Colorado music scene really be decimated by COVID-19 and just like the gains and all the cool stuff that we've been able to to make happen like in the last decade like if we get set back to where like you know like so many people have to move back home and bands break up and venues close and recording studios close and it's just like if so much of the infrastructure of 
what makes the music scene vital and like breathe a living breathing thing like if we lose that that's i just i just try not to think about that man but it's that's what keeps me up at night you know like yeah. my own career and just like the career of of you and everyone else that's a part of this this scene well it's really cool that you that you put so much emphasis not just on your own music and your own career but also cultivating community and being an active uh, member of that community and what can what can people do that are listening you know if if they just want to help out or how can they get involved if they're musicians yeah so you know we that's a very good question andy and you know for like musicians the first step to getting involved with soundbridge music is just becoming a member artist they could head over to soundbridgemusic.org and there's a form that they could fill out and become a member artist and you know membership is free with that comes access to just like professional development workshops that we offer you know the the gig opportunities are kind of non-existent but during normal times there are some gig opportunities that we're able to connect people with yeah and you know i I don't want to pretend like we're like this big thing that's super successful it's like hey man we're a small organization we're still trying to find our niche we're still trying to figure out how to best focus our efforts for the maximum impact but you know i feel like when your heart's in the wrong i mean when your heart is in the right place it's like everything else falls into place through time yeah and you just have to believe that man it's like it's like it's, it's really daunting right now thinking of the future being a musician yeah. but if you just think back to like hey man like why did we want to become musicians in the first place and it's all about like a indescribable feeling and just like oh the connection that music is able to foster so it's just like if we uh kind of get back to that as being the core of what we're concentrating on yeah it's like the whole money side of things will you have to believe like it will ramp back up and there will be the money side of things but it's just it's just weird you know like art and commerce and the way those two things intersect with each other like yeah yeah it's 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 crazy it's a crazy mathematical equation (laughs) absolutely absolutely well thanks for thanks for sharing your knowledge on that and um yeah if anybody wants to get involved we'll have soundbridgemusic.org in the show notes if you're just um, a music fan that wants to get involved somehow um, or a musician wants to sign up get some mentoring give some mentoring you know, a, a little bit of both, whatever it is, or, you know, performance opportunities when that comes back about, uh, yeah, go check out the website, but thanks so much for, for chatting with me. Did we, did we leave out anything? Oh, uh, you know what, man, sometimes when I do these interviews, I just feel like sometimes I know what I'm going to say. And sometimes I'm just kind of like going off, man. So I better, I better spare the listeners of <laughs> your podcast. So so they come back for your next episode, you know? Well, it's been great. um, And we're going to play out the episode um, with another one of the, one of the tunes off the new record. So thanks so much for coming on. And if you would stay on the line with me for, for just a second, but I'll, uh, I'll pause the interview. All right. Sounds great. Thank you, Andy. Thanks. All right. There she does it. Thank you, Antonio, for your time. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for your friendship. I appreciate it very much. If you liked what you're hearing, please go rate and review wherever you listen to your podcast. It helps me out a lot. It's totally free, and it just takes um, it just takes a quick second to do. If you do want to help out in a monetary way, go to soundbridgemusic.org. Scroll down to the bottom. Hit that donate button, would you? All right. Questions, comments, concerns, hate mail, or death threats, as always, direct them to me, middleclassrockstar at gmail.com. Once again, my name is Andy Sitto. Thanks so much for listening. I look forward to chatting with you again.
next week. We're going to play things out with another one off Antonio's newest release. This song is called 42 Ford. Jacob Jeffrey Jones was a triple threat. Had his pick of the girls in the 12th grade. Kathleen Susan Clark was his drug of choice. He lived to take her out on a Friday night. Begging groceries, saving up his cash to buy a car for the drive-in movies. But there's no such thing as a Ford. Her notes, scribbled lines about his plan. Underneath the stars, he could hold her hand as they watched the silver screen. Begging groceries, saving up his cash. I call for the drive-in movies But there's no such thing as a 42 No such thing as a 42 No such thing as a 42 Old Henry wasn't building cars Checks the mail. No love letters, just a notice. Time to go to war. Serve your uncle's sign. It's time to go and be a man. With his last goodbye, came a wedding ring. I'll be back for the drive-in movie Thank you.